Hello, hello. Welcome back to Peak Northwest, an outdoors and travel podcast by The Oregonian and Oregon Live, dedicated to the adventure and exploration of our beautiful Pacific Northwest. I'm Jamie Hale. And I'm Jim Ryan. And together we take you to some of the most beautiful and interesting destinations in our region, discussing where to go, what to do, and places to see. And today, Jamie, we're going to do something radical. We are leaving the Pacific Northwest. Hypothetically, of course. Gasp. (laughs) (laughs) Here I thought we had a podcast dedicated to the Pacific Northwest. We do, but... (laughs) (laughs) No, Jim, I, I think I can speak for just about everyone in saying that I have been dreaming of pulling together a big trip for a while now, pretty much this entire pandemic. Um, and this episode is going to be all about indulging that wanderlust and allowing ourselves the opportunity to think big. Yeah. So we should be clear uh, to start things off here. We are not advocating for you all to pack your bags right now, book a plane ticket and get out of Dodge. Uh, the COVID-19 pandemic is still very much in effect, though there are some signs for hope. Um, and we're not recommending far-flung travel at the moment. But uh, we imagine a lot of you have been dreaming, scheming, planning for the day it feels all right to set off on a bigger trip. And at least for me, Jamie, that planning process is a significant part of the fun. Jim, I can't tell you the number of times I have sat there on my computer with just like Google Maps or Google Earth up, just like trying to scheme out all kinds of trips across the world. <laughs> it's, you know, it's something that I just... It's a little cruel, I think, to myself to um, plan these trips that I can't go on. But it's just so fun, I think, to think about where in the world would I want to go, you know, with the time, with the resources. What are the places on this planet I really just feel called to? And we're going to talk about at least one of those today. Maybe we'll sneak in time for two or three. It depends on, quite frankly, how much we tend to ramble uh, about our, <laughs> our given destinations and how much time we have for today's show. But I don't know. I feel like uh, there's utility, Jamie, in sharing the scheme here, talking about mm-hmm. you know some of our far-flung grand ideas and to use the word you used earlier, to indulge uh, kind of the fascination with, uh, you know, some place, places outside our neck of the woods right now. Well, Jim, do you want to go first? Should I go first? Should we flip a coin to see who gets to Ooh. indulge in this first? I, how, how we would do a virtual coin flip. <laughs> uh, I did. Was it did you and I try to do a virtual rock, paper, scissors or did I do that with somebody else? That sounds familiar. OK, I, I, sounds I, feel, right. I feel like we did that at one point, but. I don't know, Jamie, why don't you do the honors? Okay. I, I know All you, right. I, I think, I don't know for certain, but I think I know where you're going with this and I am here <laughs> for it. So I, I am shocked if you know where I'm going well, with this. You told me something, <laughs> a really far flung trip recently. You mentioned this offhandedly and we talked oh, about it I for did. like two okay. minutes and that was it. So if I'm thinking correctly, I'm very excited to learn more. Okay. I think you are then. So Jim, let me start by going back to my childhood here. So <laughs> we're starting uh, when I was a, way back in the archives. That's right. That's right. So when, when I was a kid growing up, my, my family, we used to go to uh, the Oregon coast. We used to go to Nesquin. Um, not every year, but a lot of years we go to the beaches at Nesquin. I just remember being a little kid and standing there on the beach and looking out at the ocean and just wondering, 
what is in the other side of this ocean? What is the next piece of land way out there where somebody could be standing on that shore looking back the other way at me? And that memory just always really stuck with me. So, you know, during this pandemic, um, as I'm thinking about these things and scheming up travel plans, I thought, well, what is that next piece of land out from the central Oregon coast? So I got on Google Earth and followed the latitude lines from Neskowin all the way out across the Pacific Ocean and found the next piece of land it touches, which is the island. I don't know how to pronounce it. Full disclosure. Um, I'm going to say it is Iturup. I-T-U-R-U-P. And this is a fascinating little island. It's in the Kuril Islands, which is a chain of islands that is in kind of this disputed territory between Japan and Russia. And it just makes it, I don't know, somehow more enticing that it's like not a place you can just fly to. You can't take a boat there. You have to take this really convoluted set of of traveling of planes and, you know, buses and all these boats and, and ways to get there. Um, but once you do, it looks like just this absolutely beautiful, beautiful, wild island. It is full of active volcanoes. There are these white cliff beaches. There are hot springs, um, you know, just these beautiful forested mountain hills that rise above the Pacific Ocean. It kind of reminds me of our Pacific coastline here, but in this just this strange Jurassic Park kind of way. Uh, I, I don't know, Jim, as soon as I started looking at it, I was like, I have to, in my lifetime, I have to go check this island out. So, I mean, once you get to that point, the question is, well, how do I get there? That you stole you know? the question right out of my mouth. I, I was going to ask, <laughs> yeah. okay, so have you done any research to piece together how to actually access this place? Well, kind of working backwards from the island itself, it's like you have to figure out who who is taking you there because there's no, unless you have your own private boat, you're not going to be able to get there yourself. So what I found is that there are some Russian tour companies, at least two of them that I found, that will take you. You have to, they, they leave from this Russian island that, Jim, I'm not even going to try to pronounce. <laughs> um, but if you're looking at a map, it is the big Russian island that is just to the west of Iterup. Um, just north of the Japanese island of Sapporo. So if you can get your way there, and I think to get there, you have to actually fly east across the Atlantic or somehow get to Moscow and then fly from Moscow to here, to the Russian island, and then get the Russian tour company who will take you by boat or by plane, I'm not really sure how, to get you to Iterup and will let you sort of tour around the island, um, stay there for a couple nights and see everything there is to see um, within reason, of course. So it, it seems like this, just like this multi-week epic adventure, international travel, you're talking about, you know, Russia, Japan. Um, I, there's something about that that sounds so crazy that, I, I don't know, I, I feel like I'm more attracted to it for just how insane and difficult it is. Because once you get there, I mean, Jim, to be able to stand on the beaches of Iterup looking across the Pacific Ocean back at Oregon, I don't know, there's something that's just so poetic, something so romantic about that, that I feel like I just have to do this in my lifetime. And I mean, the sequence of events there, just to set foot on that beach and look back toward Oregon, I mean, that would be an adventure in and of itself. If there was even no specific reason you were trying to reach 
this specific spot, right? Uh, but I don't know. I, I think there is something poetic about kind of this childhood yearning to know what's out there, going to seek it now that you're, of course, all grown up and looking back across the Pacific Ocean toward Oregon. That would be pretty special. I feel like as I'm getting older, Jim, that's kind of the the way I'm looking at travel, especially these sort of these big international adventures. Like, there's a lot of places I think would be really cool to see that I haven't been to. Like, I don't know, Venice would be super fun to see. Um, or, you know, like Norway would be awesome. But I'm, I'm thinking about what are places that I feel like I have a connection to? What are the emotional connections? What are the maybe ancestral connections or spiritual connections? Where do I feel drawn to as opposed to where do I just feel like, oh, that looks neat. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I feel like finding more meaning in in these kinds of travels, especially, you know, when you maybe only get to do these kinds of things a few times in your lifetime, you know, not all of us have the luxury to be able to travel internationally on a regular basis. So really choosing these destinations with care, at least, I don't know, Jim, that, that's how I'm trying to go about it in my life. Well, and, you know, we can get to some of that in a little bit, but it, it's like, yeah, okay, so maybe you you don't know that you're going to be able to do these kinds of, you know, big trips multiple times, if ever. And choosing wisely, of course, is paramount. I I think the way you're looking at it is spot on. And really, uh, I I know we've said it before, but to come back to the word poetic, you know, you have a very specific and long lasting reason to want to visit a certain place. I'm sure it would be, you know, a, a very special moment to actually be there. And let's be honest, it'd be a heck of a story to tell too, and something you would never forget. Totally. Exactly. I think that's a big part of it too. You know, making these, making these lifelong memories, that's huge. You know, sitting on a beach in the Caribbean is fun, but making these really big lifelong memories that are meaningful to you. I don't know, for me, that that's just everything. That's all. That's what it's all about. But Jim, I'm so curious though, now to hear about yours, um, not to like throw a big epic one here to start well, with, but I'm sure you've got something that's equally epic to come up with here. Maybe in a different way. I mean, yours, quite frankly, is pretty tough to beat. I mean, in terms of just (laughs) far-flung locale, difficulty of access, uh, long-standing connection to a place, if, if, you know, uh, distant connection. I I really feel like you've pretty much hit it out of the ballpark round one. But I I will kind of set the tone with where I'm coming from here. We've talked before on the show. I grew up in Michigan, uh, moved to Oregon to take a job uh, at the Oregonian and Oregon Live. And I have not done any international travel outside of North America to date. So I'm 27 years old. Uh, I have done lots of traveling domestically. I have been up to Canada a lot of times. I played hockey as a kid. So there is no more stereotypical reason to go to Canada than playing <laughs> hockey as a kid. Um, went on a cruise once that passed uh, through, I think it was Grand Cayman Island and then uh, into Mexico. Um, so, of course, very privileged to have those experiences, but have not done uh, kind of the big international, uh, big, in, you know, the kind of big trip, uh, you know, a lot of people will do that, uh, European tour after college or, or whatever it may be. I haven't done it. And I have said for a couple of years now that I want to start doing that kind of travel because, you know, I'm at a point in my life where 
I want to. I think it's important to go learn from different cultures, to have international experiences, to kind of broaden my horizons a bit. And I have a strong desire to do that. Of course, yeah, that desire does not align well with our current moment in time, however. So I've kind of kept all of that on the down low um, because uh, it's not really uh, the best time to go set off on some sort of international epic given our place in the pandemic. But all of that is to say, I have done my own scheming, Jamie, uh, pulling up Google Maps, doing plenty of research. And what I would like to try to commit to is for as many years as I can to do one international trip a year. And maybe that'll start in 2021, maybe it won't. But the idea I have in my head for kind of my first foray under these circumstances is ironically pretty close to home and pretty easy to access, but it's like baby's first international trip, right? You know the kind of activities I like to do. I like to climb, ski, be outdoors in the wilderness. And I would like to combine that set of passions with my international travel as kind of a means of getting me into kind of unique and different locales than maybe I would go to if only picking them for tourism reasons. So I have up in my browser here the volcano Pico de Orizaba, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Jamie, have you ever heard of Pico de Orizaba? I can't say that I have. So uh, it is an 18,400-ish foot volcano, the third highest peak in North America after Denali and Canada's Mount Logan. It's a humongous dormant volcano in Mexico that has, at least so it seems, fairly reasonable access for climbers and an infrastructure that would kind of allow me, uh, at least so it seems, the opportunity to kind of dip my toe into what it would be like to kind of do an international big climbing trip like this. So so the idea that a couple of friends and I ha- have schemed up is to fly into Mexico City carrying our skis. Jamie, I don't know. Does that sound completely bonkers? (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I've never tried to carry skis internationally or on a plane at all, but I love the idea of you guys rolling up into Mexico City with your skis and making your way out to this big giant mountain. Yeah. So, I mean, completely in a way, you know, ludicrous uh, to fly into Mexico City, definitely not known for its skiing, a place with no uh, that I know of skiing infrastructure and, you know, make your way out to this mountain, uh, stay at a kind of mountain hut, climb up this, you know, glaciated humongous peak. And if everything aligns, ski off the snowy top of this 18,000 plus peak in Mexico, the third highest mountain in North America, has just enough kind of uh, standard idiocy to it. You know, the like, what the <laughs> heck are you doing? Uh, that just seems like a very weird plan. And also kind of, you know, something that you could pull off in theory without dedicating like two weeks of time to go do it. I, of course, have farther flung and other ideas, but, you know, it may be a good idea to do something that seems logistically reasonable first. So 
we'll see uh, if if we'll ever actually pull that off. But it's definitely something that's been uh, on the back burner for a little bit, uh, simmering away. I love that, Jim. That seems like just such an epic adventure. And standing up on top of that mountain, I imagine looking out towards the Gulf of Mexico or just over that that land that's there in Mexico, just, ah, gosh, what a beautiful sight that must be. Beautiful and at once familiar and incredibly unique, right? Mm. So talked about doing outdoor activities as a vessel for getting you into different cultures, different places. You know, this mountain is much higher than anything we have in the Pacific Northwest. Mount Rainier is the highest at 14,000 some feet. So this is significantly taller significantly bigger, logistically well reasonable. You know, you are flying into a different country, figuring out how to uh, travel via ground to a smaller locale, getting your way up to this kind of uh, launching point on the mountain and physically dealing with altitude, dealing with, you know, the actual climbing itself. If conditions line up, trying to ski down, you know, there's a lot there, but it's similar in nature to things that I do here in the Northwest with the entirely new element of going to a country where a different language is the primary language uh, to a place I have never been before, all with kind of the goal of doing a really cool thing outside. So I think it'd be a great mix for me and would acquaint me a little bit with what it's like to do this kind of travel and to do something that is pretty sweet outside while I'm at it. Jim, I like what you said about um, the familiarity factor as well as the foreign factor. And, you know, I I feel like a lot of us, we like to go to these places, these different cultures to um, really immerse ourselves into a world that is unfamiliar, um, that we, that we don't know to get ourselves out of sort of our our worldviews that we have. We get, we can get so stuck in at home. But I I love the idea of, of having this element of familiarity to it, not just to make it a little more comfortable, perhaps. Um, but also I feel like by merging those two, it kind of allows the experience that we have, this foreign experience, to become part of our lived at home experience. It, it can act as sort of a bridge to really integrate those two things together, which I really like as a way to approach doing this foreign international travel. That is super cool, Jamie. I really dig it. And I'm hoping that we can take this style of trip sometime in the reasonably near future. All that said, we're going to talk some more about dream trips here in the United States right after a short break. All right, folks, we are back talking about dream vacations, big dream trips uh, that we've been scheming, dreaming, planning during the coronavirus pandemic, which I will mind you, we are not encouraging you to go take these trips right now, rather just living vicariously through the planning. And Jamie, we have talked uh, in the first part of the show here about kind of our big grand plans for hypothetical future travel to very far flung locales in your case and uh, closer to home for me, but, you know, still uh, a, a pretty bigger scale trip, I would say. Let's flip it over to the domestic front. Uh, do you have any kind of dream trip here in the United States that you have had kind of, uh, you know, hanging out in the back of your mind for the last couple of months? Oh, yeah, Jim. I, I've got one that, that comes back and forth into my mind constantly. Ooh. And it's a spot that is, I guess, technically domestic, but it, it, to me, it feels almost like a foreign trip with just how 
not only the distance away, but just sort of the, the, the foreign rugged nature of it. And that is, of course, uh, our great state of Alaska, right? Which is a spot that you know they, it's what like the sort of the final frontier, or is that Star Trek? Um, <laughs> Last frontier? It, it, yeah, it, it feels like that. There's something about Alaska that feels so, um, you know, undiscovered and still so wild um, because a lot of it is straight up wilderness. And, you know, I'm just looking at Alaska on a map right now, and I don't even really know where to begin because there's just so much mm-hmm. state to explore. I mean, I've I've looked at going just right up to Juneau, which is a bit closer to us, and exploring some of those islands out there. Um, of course, I know that those islands are full of grizzly bears, and that might not be um, the safest trip to try to explore. Um, I've talked about doing the Midnight Sun. I think we talked about mm-hmm. this in a previous episode. I'm going up to northern Alaska around the summer solstice and just experiencing that 24 hours of daylight, I think would be just a really, really cool experience. And then there's Anchorage um, and all those areas around there, you know, taking these these bush plains to get into these wilderness areas or taking ferries around these islands. I mean, it, it just seems like you could spend years exploring Alaska and, and really only see a fraction of it. It is just so enormous and there's so much to see. I'm not even quite sure where to begin, but I just feel like it's one of these things that I have to go see at at some point in the future, at some point in my lifetime. I've got to get to Alaska. You know, I, I've had two of those feelings I very much identify with, Jamie. One is the feeling of you have to go to Alaska. I've said, you know, as someone who did not grow up in the Pacific Northwest, I have said, well, in the Northwest, I must go to Hawaii and go to Alaska because those are two mm-hmm. humongous trips from most places in the country and still big trips from the Northwest, but very manageable ones. Ones that, I mean, you could even take a direct flight in some instances, I'm sure, between, you know, Portland and Anchorage, Portland and one of the airports in Hawaii, something like that is like, wow, I would at least assume there's direct flights. I, I, I don't know for certain, I guess, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's a, a reasonable thing to do. The second is just looking at Alaska and being like, my gosh, where to even start? There is so much to do. You know, I'm, I'm sure if I did real research, I could kind of get a, a better idea of kind of what square one should be, but there is just a absolute overload of potential options of things to do up there. And I quite frankly have never really nailed down much of a semblance of a plan as to how I, how I would go about it. Yeah. I mean, because there's so many different ways to go at it, about it, right? I mean, <laughs> you, you maybe, so you fly into Anchorage and that's the way you can do it, but then, you know, where do you go from there? Which piece of Alaska do you want to explore? Do you want to do Denali? I think that would be pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, Glacier Bay National Park down by Juneau, which you kind of have to get to by boat. Um, that's a cool experience as well. Uh, do you want to go see grizzly bears? Some people really do. That's uh, There's plenty of opportunities for that in Alaska to do so, I'm sure, safely. And I mean, there's just, there's the tundra up north and there's, you know, the Pacific coastline, there's the volcanoes, the Aleutian Islands are volcanoes. They're just, it's one big chain of active volcanoes. It's amazing. And Jim, we haven't even mentioned like the other aspects of Alaska, which are the cultural aspects, which are, you know, the city of Anchorage, the things to do there, I'm sure. And, you know, a lot of the indigenous culture and history there, there is so much to see the art scene, um, these small towns, you know, there's so much to do there. I, I admit, I don't know hardly anything about it. 
Um, like you said, I just look at the map and I go, wow, <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm sure there's lots to do there. Um, but how do you even start going about that? So, I mean, if anyone's listening and they want to help us plan a trip to Alaska, um, by all means, reach out. I would love some help in this, in this regard. I, I think there is a decent chance someone has done a trip up there that they are absolutely in love with and would love to share. So uh, copy me in on that too. I would be very curious. Jamie, that sounds like a really good idea. I hope you can make it happen because I would love to hear a download from you as to what you did, um, what you'd recommend, and the you know ups and downs of uh, trying to figure out what exactly to fill your time with in such a beautiful and humongous place. Um, I have schemed out and have on my screen here just a simple Google Maps line here, uh, basically going from west to east, 2,215 miles of driving, 34 hours of driving between my home in northeast Portland and my home home in Gaylord, Michigan, 2,215 miles by car away. I've never done this trip by car. I've flown between Portland and Michigan a number of times. I have driven once from college in Ohio to Portland by way of kind of, I think it was I-70, but I went a Southern route and I have never gone basically as straight across the country as I can. So I think that would be an excellent trip. One that could be reasonable to pull off, but is a lot of driving. Probably would want a partner for such an occasion as to not completely wear myself out. But there are kind of two or three ways that would make the most sense to go across the country. The first takes you through, uh, and this is the 34-hour route, takes you through some cool spots. You could hit Spokane, Missoula, Bozeman, Billings, Fargo, Duluth, which I've heard is super cool, and drop down through the Upper Peninsula of Michigan into my hometown some 34 hours later. That would be supremely cool. Another route just stems out essentially at Billings, and you're going to drop through South Dakota, go straight across southern Minnesota, through Wisconsin, and again up over the Upper Peninsula. And a third, well... We could keep going on routes all day, I suppose, but another one would drop you towards (laughs) Boise into Utah, cross Wyoming, maybe tip your toe into Colorado just to say you did, and eventually work your way up uh, through the Chicago area and into Michigan. There's just so much country that I have never seen, never really specifically planned a trip to go to. I mean, I could hit cover so much fresh ground on any of those three routes and have a pretty cool experience. I think filling in kind of a a, a wide area that I have just never experienced. So yeah, uh, I've got some familiarity with some of the landscapes there, but my gosh, there's so much to see and kind of that big long road trip is a pretty cool way to do it. I think. I love that Jim. And you know, there's so much to see just looking at the map and looking at that route um, or any of those routes. There's so much to see, especially once you're in sort of that Montana, Idaho, uh, Wyoming area, um, in terms of national parks, especially. I mean, that northern route you talked about, you're talking about Glacier National Park, Yellowstone, Grand Tetons. If you go down through South Dakota, you've got the Badlands mm-hmm. National Park. Um, I mean, that southern route takes you through Salt Lake City um, and Twin Falls, Idaho, which is great. 
goes across Nebraska, which is a little bit less great. No offense to Nebraska, <laughs> but having driven across it many times, um, you know, I, I can say there's less to see there. Um, you know, there's just so much out there. Um, and like you said, Fargo, Duluth, some, some cities up there as well. Um, that no matter which way you go, there's some beautiful things to see out there. Um, and I don't, the, the idea of the long road trip, I've done a couple of these before driving from Iowa out here to Portland or driving from Philadelphia out to New Mexico. There's something about that long road trip where you're just in the car and, you know, you're on the road for, you know, eight, nine, 10 hours a day. I, I don't know. I just, I kind of love that, that sense of, of freedom, the open road, um, that feeling of sort of your, your car is like your home base. Um, if you have someone along for the ride, of course, all the better, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, to help you drive and to help you stay sane out in the road. Uh, that's just a super fun experience. And I feel like a quintessential American experience too, that, you know, living in this country, I feel like you got to do the long road trip at least once mm-hmm. in your life. Yeah. I mean, the, the road trip coming out to Portland for a, for an internship with the Oregonian and Oregon live, you know, I graduated school on a Saturday, I believe started driving West that same weekend. Uh, and I remember it being this freeing experience between, uh, between going to college and coming to a new job where college was completely left behind in the sense that I have no more work to do there. My job at the student paper was over. You know, I had uh, one of my best friends from college came along with me. He had some frequent flyer miles and we made our way out kind of into our future, my future, at least in Portland, coming there for an internship, which eventually turned into a job. You know, he hopped on a plane, went back east and, uh, you know, it was a freeing experience between commitments that I will never forget, I hope. And uh, it'd be fun to recapture a little bit of that road trip magic heading back toward home home, as I say, uh, back toward Michigan to go see the family, which would be a lot of fun. Of course, on the flip side, I would have to drive back. So it would be a heck of a commitment in terms of time. <laughs> <laughs> but it would feel very cool, uh, you know, to pull that car into the driveway. So. Take one route on the way there and another route the way back. That's true. Uh, make a nice little loop out of it. Man, do like uh, a full 70 hours of driving. Uh, <laughs> recruiting partners for such a road trip. No, I'm not going to solicit random uh, road trip partners on the podcast. That is probably inadvisable, but my gosh, that is a lot of driving. Well, Jim, that that is um, definitely an exciting one. And, you know, as we're kind of looking ahead to travel in the next, you know, year or two, Road trip is probably one that's going to be a little bit safer uh, earlier as opposed to doing some sort of big international fantasy vacation. Um, so that said, uh, I think we've got lots of good dreams for ourselves here and hopefully inspiring some dreams for some other folks who are listening. Absolutely. So, Jamie, well, folks, get to scheming. We'll continue to do the same and we'll be back with another episode again soon. But in the meantime, you can watch our videos on the Oregonians YouTube channel. Follow us on Instagram at Peak Northwest and view all of our travel and outdoors coverage on OregonLive.com slash travel. Please leave us a rating or review if you enjoy the show. And if you want to support this podcast and our local journalism, please consider a subscription to Oregon Live. You can find details, of course, at OregonLive.com slash pod support. This episode of the show was produced by me, Jim Ryan, alongside Jamie Hale and Elliot Noose. Stay safe and happy travels, everyone. Until next time, we leave you with this 10 seconds of Zen.